Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It is the neglecting of salvation that the writer is referring to, and how serious it truly is that we do not want to neglect the salvation that we have or drift away from the salvation that we have. When the Old Covenant was instituted, disobedience was very well defined. It was defined according to the law as it was presented through Moses. But in the New Covenant, there is only one form of disobedience that can remain, and that is to reject what Jesus has done for you. That is all that remains. That is the last form of disobedience. It is, in effect, unbelief. And if you were to look at the time before the Old Covenant was established, all the way back to Adam and Eve, the true cause of their fall, the true sin that they actually committed was unbelief. They did not believe God, and they believed the devil. That was their sin. And so today, so also, that is our sin. Our sin that we commit is a rejection and an exercise of unbelief in what Christ Jesus has done for us. This is explained more in Hebrews chapter 3, where the writer explains in a deeper way that a person needs to believe in the Lord Jesus, that that is the sin that remains, but I will come to that very soon. With regards to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, The unbelief is not believing in the salvation that has been given to us, and there is no escape for not believing in the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. Continuing in verse 3, where he said, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The word was spoken through the Lord himself. That was the message that we needed the mercy of God. And through the apostles, those who followed him, who heard him, he testified through them that we also still needed the mercy of God. And through signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Lord invaded our lives, invaded the lives of the people, as we have recorded in the book of Acts, and testified through them the message that they needed to be saved. Now, it's really important to understand that at the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry, he started with twelve spiritually dead men who did not know the things of God. And when he ended his ministry, he ended with twelve spiritually dead men who did not know the things of God. 
and had no means by which they could understand the living God or the salvation that he was truly providing to them. And so when he initiated salvation by dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and baptizing the people with his Holy Spirit, that was his initiation where he resurrected them from the dead right then and there they became spiritually alive and it was at that point that they could finally know and understand the things of god because they would have the spirit of god dwelling within their spirit who would teach them and guide them and lead them into all truth and would confirm the truths that had been communicated to them before and would be communicated to them now But even then, when they first got saved, they still had a long ways to go. There were still so many opportunities for them all to drift away. And so while God did testify, he personally testified, gave evidence. He was there in their midst and showed them that he was right there by working these miracles through his apostles. He was right there. But in the midst of that, there were still some very important struggles. As you read through the book of Acts, you can see the testimony of the apostles, and you can see the testimony of the living God, and you can see their growth and development as they come to understand what salvation is, and as they come to understand the implications of the salvation that had been given to them. They all struggled in their own ways, and I have done a study on the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that I would like to encourage you to get a hold of. And listen to that study very carefully and so that you can truly appreciate what they went through and understand the struggles that they had, that even though the Lord testified himself personally to who they were and to who he was and to what he had done, that there were still some very serious struggles there that caused many of them to drift away quite often from what he called them to. For example, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter was called to the home of Cornelius And when the Apostle Peter arrived at the home of Cornelius and spoke to Cornelius and his household about the things of the Lord and what the Lord had done for them, when they believed and they trusted in the truth that Peter was relaying to them, they were saved. And this was testified of by God himself when he gave them the gift of languages and so that there was clear communication between all the people who were there. God testified that the Gentiles in that home, Cornelius, and his people could be saved without first becoming a Jew. Just something as simple as that was a profound statement, a very profound experience, a very important, pivotal moment in the history of the church, that it was then that the Apostle Peter discovered that a Gentile could actually be saved. And when he returned to Jerusalem... We have the description of those events recorded in Acts chapter 11, where the church in Jerusalem were very, very concerned that Peter had entered into the home of a Gentile. And so Peter defended the situation by explaining to them the circumstances and how they unfolded, and that the testimony of the Lord was that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. That was an important moment in the history of the church. And so, looking at Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 from that perspective, I'd like you to understand that the subject of salvation was something that the apostles struggled with. Just what is salvation? What is it really? 
I mean, if you don't understand that a Gentile can be saved, chances are the problem is that you don't have a very good understanding of what salvation truly is. And so while the Lord did give them the message of salvation, and the writer to the Hebrews here in chapter 2 encourages the people not to drift away from this salvation, well, they have to understand what salvation is to begin with. They need a firm grip on that. They need a firm understanding on that. And they need to understand the implications of that because once they receive it, it's very easy for them to drift away if they do not understand the implications of the salvation that has been given to them. They can easily drift away from it because they can be easily convinced of things that sound so good, that sound so holy, and yet they contradict the salvation that has been given to them. In the previous broadcast, I was referring to the subject of forgiveness as being the number one reason why people drift away is because they drift away from the forgiveness that they have. But even the early church struggled with just who could be saved at all, even up into Acts chapter 11. And then after that, they struggled with what are the implications of this salvation? How do we now live? How do we now live in light of what Jesus has done for us? As you continue to read into Acts chapter 15, you discover the church assembles together to deal with the question of should a Gentile be circumcised? Should a Gentile be circumcised? And should they live in obedience to the law of Moses? Is that to be the life of an individual who has been saved? That you have been saved for the purpose of living a life of obedience to the law of Moses? That's what they were dealing with in Acts chapter 15. You know, a lot had happened between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 15. And finally, they deal with that question then. And so you can see how easy it is for someone to drift away when they first come to understand what salvation is. There are many things that can cause them to drift away from that salvation that they have received. In the case of the early church, It was easy for that to happen because of the climate that they were living in. The Hebrews lived and functioned in the Israelite society that was totally consumed, especially as it related to the sacraments of the temple. They were totally consumed with living a life of obedience to the Mosaic law. That was the life of a Hebrew. And that was something that people had to turn from if they were going to enter into the new covenant and live on the basis of what they had been given not on the basis of what they thought they would be able to get if they would obey the law of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, the writer gives a hint to this. He does at the end of verse 4. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. At the end of verse 4, he says, according to his own will. And in many cases, people look at that and they say, according to his own desire. As he desired, he would perform signs and wonders and he would do things. But you know what? He did these things. He did these things freely because of what he had already done. And what he had already done was he had already forgiven them of all of their sins. And he had already offered to them the spirit of life that they needed to resurrect them from the dead, the life that had been lost in Adam, so that they could become spiritually alive and subsequently be saved from their condition of being dead. That was invoked as a result of his death. All that our God 
gave to the disciples, gave to the apostles, gave to the people, gave to the elders of the church, all that he gave was given on the basis of his death. Not just because he wanted to, but because he died. He died so that he could give to them all that they would have a need for. And you know what? Most of the Hebrews never got this. It was only the Apostle Paul who truly got a hold of this at first. And I believe that Peter got a hold of it afterwards. But with regards to the people who were there in Jerusalem, I believe that only Peter and Paul truly got a hold of this message, truly got in touch with the reality of what they had already been given. It's possible that John probably got a hold of it as well, but his letters can be read from various points of view. And so I do hesitate a little bit to talk about John. But with regards to Paul and Peter, I really believe that they did come to understand what they had been given. And Paul made it very clear that our life in Christ Jesus, our relationship with Christ Jesus, is a relationship of discovering what he has already given to us and to live out of the abundance of what we truly have. And he described this using a very important word in his letter to the Ephesians, in his letter to the Colossians, in his letter to the Romans. He wrote this everywhere, where he spoke of this as an inheritance. And that's what he gave to us. Certainly, he gave to us many signs. He gave to us many wonders. He gave to us many miracles. He gave to us many gifts of the Holy Spirit, certainly. But these are given to us as an inheritance. That's what we have. He gave these things to us because he died for us. That's why he gave these things to us. And this inheritance is described in a will. That's how we know what we have been given. Because what we have been given has been written. It has been recorded. That's how we know. And this is described as a will. A will is a description of an inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. And part of this inheritance is certainly signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But it's just the beginning. It's only the beginning of what we have been given in Christ Jesus. And so that's what he started with. That is what he started with. To tell the people and to encourage the people with the testimony that he is here that he is alive, that you are now alive, and that you can begin to walk in a relationship with him. I believe the writer of the Hebrews is initiating this notion of the will of God and the inheritance that we have received. He is initiating this, and he will further describe this more as we get into Hebrews chapter 9 and also in Hebrews chapter 10. And I talk about this in detail in the series that I did on the will of God, which I would encourage you to listen to. And I will also talk about this more again when I do get to Hebrews chapter 9. But right here, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, he initiates this important concept that there is a will that describes an inheritance. And this has been dispensed to us and given to all of us because he died for us. A will or a testament only goes into effect after a person has died. And after it has, it will never be recalled. And what he gave to the apostles and how he testified within and through them, through what he did in their lives, was just the beginning. Just the beginning in order to get them started. 
And like I said, as you continue to read, many years went by before they came to understand truly the implications of the salvation that they had. And so between the time when they started and the time that we read in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15, they had many opportunities to drift away. And I sincerely believe that they did struggle with drifting away. They drifted away constantly. And so the Apostle Paul was used by God and the Apostle Peter was used by God in order to bring this message out beyond the Hebrews, out into the Gentiles. Because while the Hebrews at that time were generally struggling with drifting away from the salvation that they had been given, God wasted no time and he went to reach out to those people who would not drift away, who would believe the truth and respond to the truth and grow in a relationship with Christ Jesus. And that's who the Apostle Paul was sent out to do. He was sent out for the purpose of reaching out to those people. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, he says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands." You have put all things in subjection under his feet. He's, of course, referring to the Lord Jesus who fulfills this. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here in verse 9, he expresses the important point that the Lord Jesus is who he is, because the Lord God has declared him to be who he is. And he is the one who has suffered for us all, so that he might taste death for everyone. He did this so that he could forgive us our sins. That's what we are to believe. That is what we are to trust in. And we are to depend on that on a daily basis because as soon as we don't, we will begin to drift away. We will drift away as soon as we believe things that contradict the truth that he no longer holds any of our sins against us. The Lord Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. In other words, our God, the living God, manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us in a way that would be lower than his angels who he had made. He did that so that he could reach out to us and tell us that we needed his mercy. That was the purpose of his ministry. He was very effective with that. And he concluded his ministry by telling us that we were to wait until the Holy Spirit would be given to us that was then given to us in Acts chapter 2 as his promise was finally fulfilled, and it was described as an inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. In verse 10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Well, he was perfected in various ways. The most popular way that he is described as being someone who was perfected 
is to say that he was definitely the perfect sacrifice because he never sinned. And so on that basis, he was perfect. And so when he suffered, he did not suffer for his own sins. He suffered for our sins. And I do believe that that is true. I do believe that that is definitely true, that this is a way that he was made perfect. And it was quite fitting for him to do this. You know, through one man, sin entered into the world and sufferings as a result of his sin. And so it is fitting that through another man, through the Lord Jesus, through him coming into the world, that he would deal with all sin and remove all sufferings. Now, we do experience suffering in this life. There's no question about that. However, what I believe he is referring to is the final sufferings that a person will experience as a result of being condemned for their sin. And so what I mean by that is that through one man, everyone was condemned. So also through one man, everyone will be looked at as being uncondemned in the context of no longer having their sins held against them. It was fitting for that to happen. It wasn't required for that to happen. It just makes sense. It fits. It just simply makes sense. It's understandable. It's realistic. I believe that it's very fitting, as the writer of the Hebrews wrote. And when you think about that, it's very easy to wonder, well, then why is it that the whole world isn't saved? Because if everyone is forgiven, if through one man sin entered into the world and everyone was condemned for their sin... So also through one man, everyone has been set free from their sin. Why is it that they're not saved? A very important question. I believe that the reason why they are not saved is because that is not salvation. Through one man, sin entered into the world, but death entered into the world through his sin. And not just physical death. I believe that physical death is an act of mercy, not an act of condemnation, not a judgment. I do not believe that physical death is the judgment of God. I do instead believe that physical death is a blessing from God because this world is not heaven. You need to get out of it. You need to get out of this world, and that is the way to get out. You have to die. You have to die physically. No, the death that he's referring to is the spiritual death. When God created Adam, he created Adam and Eve to be spiritually alive. And what that meant was was that the life of God had been breathed into him. The very spirit of God had been breathed within Adam and Eve. And it was through that presence that they were made spiritually alive. When the Lord gave the commandment, though, and he said, In the day that you eat from the wrong tree, in that day you will surely die. When you do that... You're going to die in that very day, at that very moment, without question, without exception. You will die. That's what it says. You will absolutely die in that very day. He didn't say you'd die later or die a thousand years later. It would be in that very day. And they did. But that death was the absence of life. And in this case, it was the absence of the life of God. That was how they died. And so through one man... Sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered into the world. And through the other man, Christ Jesus, sin was forgiven. And it was forgiven for a reason. It was forgiven so that he could give to people, he could give to us, he could give to us freely the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam, so that we can be made spiritually alive again. 
so that we can have His Spirit indwelling within us, so that through the presence of His life, we could be born again by the Spirit of God, being made alive to Him as a new creation, and we could begin to be guided and led and taught by Him personally and individually. That is what He has given to us. And it is so important that the sin issue be resolved, because if it was not resolved, if there was any sin left unforgiven, there would be a sin that would cause that life to depart from within us. And through that, we would again be spiritually dead and without hope of ever being saved again. And so salvation has to do with sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. The Lord Jesus was the perfect sacrifice by which our God is able to restore to us the life that had been lost in Adam. The way that he did this was fitting, considering how the problem got started. The solution is a fitting solution in light of that. But there is another perfection that the Lord Jesus has manifested to us. There is another perfection that he has revealed to us through the sufferings that he experienced. But I am out of time in this broadcast, and so I'm going to have to tell you about this in the next program, that this perfection is beyond the perfection of him being a perfect sacrifice, of him being the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. That this perfection has to do with the revelation of the perfection of the Heavenly Father. That through his response to the world that he was confronted with, the perfection of the love of God was actually revealed. In this program, I also mentioned the will of God, that the will of God is the description of an inheritance. And I have done a series of programs on this subject, and so I would like to encourage you to get a hold of those programs on the will of God in order to gain some greater insights with regards to this subject, especially how this relates to us in terms of an inheritance that we have received and in terms of the abundance of what has been given to us in Christ Jesus. I would like to encourage you to contact me for the audio CDs for those or download the files off of the website archive. But tune in tomorrow as I will continue with this subject of the Lord Jesus being perfected through sufferings. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,